0: Welcome to the Journey to Epiphany podcast. I'm your host, Callie Swanland. For this episode, I had the great joy of talking with Nina Ball.
1: One of my uh, pastor spiritual advisors growing up would say, you know, you gotta stay green if you wanna grow. You gotta stay teachable, you have to stay open, and you have to stay flexible. And it's a fine line to walk between knowing your worth and walking in your purpose with confidence, and also being open to learning more, to feedback, and to constructive criticism.
0: Nina, AKA Lyrespect, is a lyricist, activist, curator, and educator. We met last year when she was the featured speaker for the Philadelphia chapter of Creative Mornings, a movement connecting creatives worldwide. Nina, it's so good to have you here.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Callie.
0: I wonder if you could tell us a bit about yourself.
1: So I am originally from Baltimore. I've been in Philly for 20 plus years. I'm a poet, writer, activist, author, educator, and curator. So basically anything creative that goes towards the greater good, that's where you'll find me.
0: I love that part. Anything great, anything creative that goes toward the greater good. So it sounds like you've got a sense of deeper meaning and purpose that's beyond just you.
1: Absolutely. I mean I, I think that you know it I know that I'm walking in my purpose based on what I've known from when I was very young deeply connected to the creator and just using every opportunity to like show the presence of God or good spirit or good energy or that greatness that is greater than us in any of the work I do. And it doesn't always have to be heavy handed, but if it's an act of kindness or something that moves the needle forward, something that speaks up for marginalized or oppressed people or people whose voices are not heard as loudly, that is where I find my most joy. But I love people in general, so I also just love to celebrate and and create.
0: I love it. And it's, it's through your creativity that we first met. We met just over a year ago, right before the pandemic shut everything down, at uh, Creative Mornings in Philly.
1: Yes, yes. That was a... Wonderful opportunity. Uh, Michelle of Witty Gritty reached out to me and asked me if I'd be interested and I jumped at the chance and uh, I think the subject was roots at that time and I just talked a little bit about my roots. Um, I know there are a lot of ways they could be in, in, interpreted, uh, but that was where I found the most uh, energy surrounding it. So it was really fun to play with that topic and really talk about the things I've learned from my family, my community and to share a little of my work and my journey. According to my purpose,
0: it was so wonderful. And um, for those of you who don't know, Creative Mornings is a movement around the world, and Philadelphia has its own chapter. And before the pandemic, um, they would bring in a featured guest each month, and creatives would come together to listen. But also, there's always a component of sharing and connecting and networking, which I think is important for creatives to do and not get isolated in their own work. Definitely.
1: And the really cool thing about Creative Mornings is that that talk on Roots was happening around the world. Um, so that was really cool because that was the theme for the month. And so every talk was unique.
0: That is so cool. I I went there that day as a... I, I can embrace the title creative, but I was still trying to find my own creative grounding. And I went there to be inspired and you brought it. (laughs) You you (laughs) brought what I was looking for that day. And I remember just going up and striking up a conversation afterwards because there's something in my heart that craves and longs for those soul connections with other creatives. Mm-hmm. Do you know those connections that I'm talking about?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, it was wonderful connecting with you and meeting you. I I've, I think you or Jeremy had asked a question specifically around spirituality, and I thought that was so good and so interesting. It gave me an opportunity to really Express to the audience the deeper dive that I take when I go into my writing and and creative process, and you just had such good energy, and I was like, I really do hope we get a chance to work together. So, yeah, it was wonderful.
0: Well, well here we are, and um, it has been it has been so wonderful getting to know you. And I will confess Likewise. to our listeners that this is take two of our (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Um, you know, there, there's something, uh, something out there that wanted us to get another chance to work together. And, uh, our, our first recording, um, failed on our, our podcast platform, unfortunately, but also, um, it gave us this other chance to connect again and, um, and have this conversation in a renewed way. And I'm grateful for that.
1: Mm -hmm. Me too.
0: So I wonder if you can tell me, as a person who loves spoken word and loves poetry, but doesn't quite know the difference between them, can you help us understand um, your art and how you conceive of the differences of spoken word art?
1: Sure. So I consider myself a poet. Um, I, I definitely do perform spoken word poetry, and I, I think that would be a fair assessment. Uh, for me, as a poet, it's in the writing. It's in the intention of every word choice and every connection made from thought to thought. Uh, and it has multiple meanings and feelings when read by different readers. A spoken word poet might have less content, not necessarily, but could have lighter content, simpler content, but they perform it in a really expressive way that's entertaining and it gets the audience going, right? I feel like the spoken word um, acknowledges that there is a listener in that moment. And I think that that's where the performance aspect comes in. I like to meld the two of doing the work on the front end of writing about something that means a lot to me. And whether it's read in a book that I release or whether it's performed by myself, it has a similar impact, um, but unique when it's performed aloud.
0: I I resonate with that as a preacher. I enjoy the art of crafting the sermon as much as I enjoy the art of delivering the sermon. They're so different and they're so important to me. And I'm hearing that in your description of poetry and spoken word and the ways in which they can dovetail, but the ways in which they're also distinct.
1: If I can ask you a question, I'm so glad you brought that up. What's your writing process like uh, between writing and then sharing the sermon?
0: Ah, the tables are turned. I love it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just for a moment.
0: Yeah. So for me, it's important to sit with whatever text that I am um, interpreting or drawing upon, which um, in in my church, in the Episcopal denomination, um, is assigned ahead of time. We have um, a calendar which uh, shows us which Bible readings come up on a given mm-hmm. Sunday. And mm-hmm. The unique part, the not unique part, but the challenging part uh, for me is, is that I, I don't have any wiggle room with my deadline. If I don't have a sermon written by Sunday morning, I've got to stand up there and say something.
1: <laughs> yeah, you got to
0: freeze. So, um, so I start um, if I can, you know, a few weeks beforehand, um, uh, looking at the readings for that day. Um, but definitely sitting with it. Um, throughout the course of a week. And when I know that my writing process is part of something much bigger than I am is Mm -hmm. when I get an idea in my head that I feel resistant to. Mm -hmm. Um, When something – it's often with, um, you know, some hard justice topic that – I hear in my head and I know that it's going to ruffle some feathers Mm -hmm. and that it would be easier to just ignore that and, and go with something fluffy. Mm -hmm. Um, but once it, once it gets in my head and heart, I know that it's not of me and that resisting it is, um, it's of no use Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) because, um, at that point it has already taken root. And so sitting sitting with that and, and praying with that. And for me, my writing process often includes conversation with someone close to me, sort of Mm -hmm. trying to get those ideas out there. And once it's on paper, it's only, it's only half finished for me until I birth Mm -hmm. it into the world Mm -hmm. through the delivery of it. Mm-hmm. Um it is it is somehow incomplete for me.
1: Yeah, I, I hear that 100 percent. yeah, I mean, if I, if I may, it's like I'm hearing my process being echoed back to me because oftentimes, you know, I move through the world, I see myself as a vessel, and if something happens and I'm always looking to absorb and understand in what's happening in the world, and so something strikes me really deeply. Uh, I sit with it, I think about it, Mm. I'll get a line, I'll write a line. I'll walk down the street, I'll walk to the store, I'll get my miles in, another line comes. I'm listening to a song and it makes me think about something that's related to the topic. I'll have conversations with my friends and something else will be related to it. And then my love of words, um, the deeper I dive into the dictionary or recall words that I've learned over time, I double check to make sure they're accurate because by then the spirit is already working and moving. So it's like, yeah, this word, that word. And I just double check to make sure that it's solid where if you want to study it line for line, the work is there. I back up all of my work in that way. And then the delivery, you're absolutely right. You just made, it just clicked to me. I mean, we think about giving birth, right? So why do we call it the delivery when we speak, right? So you think about mm-hmm. like like that gestation period when it's moving inside your spirit and then like the actual giving birth and the delivery when it goes out into the world, right? Um so I just, yeah, I love your process. It sounds a lot like my own. And I think also that piece of like conversing with someone close to you, just casually perhaps, or maybe very directly about what you're you're thinking about also helps to reinforce. It's kind of like that. Yes, you're good. That person can almost serve as like the doula, if you will. Right. You know, yes. or just making a way for you to like know it's okay to make this delivery. Yes.
0: Yes. And, uh, I hear, I hear a poem in that, that is is incredible. I, um, I have to confess that I, I woke up from a dream yesterday morning, um, about a, I was with a group of women and one of them, um, went into labor in this dream. And my, my midwife who, um, caught my babies, uh, was there in the dream. Mm. And I said to her, I said to her in the dream, I said, we've midwifed so much death this past year. It was Mm. so good to midwife life. Mm. And I'm, I'm, I'm hearing the, the healing, the birth, the, hopefulness that comes in bringing about our words, our creative spark put onto paper, into this world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of my friends I was conversing with today is like, you know, when are you putting your album out? None of us live forever. You know? And I said, I was thinking to myself (laughs) about how I think of my work as legacy, right? Like, if I do truly see myself as a vessel, it is selfish and irresponsible to not share what was put in me. And I say that without ego, mm. like I might like the way I sound, but whether you like it or not, is my responsibility to put out into mm. the world my truth, you know, my experience, mm. what life is like here on earth in this time, to inspire others, hopefully, to ruffle some feathers, absolutely, to help <laughs> us heal collectively and also within. Our trauma patterns, breaking those chains, breaking generational curses, um, and really acknowledging what we accepted in the past is okay will no longer serve us if we want to evolve.
0: Amen to that. I I hear in that too, and I, I think that there's another crossover here between poetry and preaching that you've got to share what is. In you, um, burning its way to to be let free into the world, but there's also there's also a control that we give up when we put it out into the world. Someone is going to make their own conversation with it. They're going to have uh, their own meaning that they take away from it, regardless of what we've said.
1: Absolutely. And I think honestly, that's like art, you know, a lot of people, I, I love personally to go to art exhibits, um, especially when it's abstract. And I always liken it to an abstract painting where no matter what the artist intended, unless they walk you through every part of the process and what that, that means and that structure means, whatever it is, everyone who looks at that art is going to interpret it differently. And I think that there's some value to being okay with that because we may think that we're writing a clear message with a clear picture and a clear destination. But I think there's this beautiful meta thing that happens with art as well that maybe the art is the conversation around it. Maybe the art is the response to what's been received and not actually, I was taught a lesson today. You know, maybe the art is, I really didn't like that. But why didn't you like it? And it's the conversation that moves us forward and moves the needle forward. So I like the idea that art can be layered, messages can be layered. And if spirit has its part in everything that we're doing, the right messages get to the right people, whether the results are seen immediately or in the future.
0: So when you talk about I love that. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm gonna go with that and and that art is art is what happens before during and after experiencing the art itself Mm -hmm. um you also talked about um, your words as as healing our words as healing poetry and art as healing and i wonder if you could speak to the role of poetry within the black community
1: Yeah, I mean, I can speak from my perspective and my knowledge, you know, and my lived experience. Um, I surely can't cover it all, but I'd say knowing what I know is that we have an oral history. So even before what we might call and consider poetry, we were passing down our stories to preserve our culture. And that came in the form of griots, um, just preserving different elements of things that would inspire us, encourage us, and bring us hope. And so that oral history is strong within people of color, Black people specifically. And I think poetry is just the music that's naturally in us and that rhythm that's there as well. And then for myself, when it comes to spoken word or hip hop, you just take that rhythm a step further. I think it's incorporating experiences, preserving culture, having fun celebrating and also setting the record straight. I think poetry is such a beautiful and rich, rich topic because it's, I mean, it's literally words. I mean, we have conversations all the time. It's just crafted conversation, right? Sometimes one-sided, sometimes left open for others to talk back to sometimes call and response. And so I think uh, knowing that we're communal people, you know, that, that, That engagement level that happens with poetry or going to an open mic or hearing a hip hop lyric and something empowering, you know, that resonates within us. And then that musicality also resonates as well. And not just in Black people, you know, but I think that when we look at such amazing writers that brought us through Langston Hughes, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, Maya Angelou <laughs> and Tzatziki Shange, Shange, uh, and this is just off the top of my head, and then like more contemporary folk like Ursula Rucker, Saul Williams, uh, Jessica Care Moore, Queen Goddess. there's so many amazing. Sonny Patterson. I mean, there are some really amazing poets that you know have have frozen us in a place in time that have captured a moment in time rather. Um, that we can go back to over and over and celebrate and appreciate and use it as a jumping point uh, to know what was done here at this time, what transpired, who we were and what we did.
0: So it's contributing to that shared history, to that oral history, to to what's handed down to those who come after us. And because it's oral history, it's also connected to what's come before us. So it transcends time and space, it transcends age and um, culture and all of those things to make meaning of the human experience.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, of course, (laughs) we know there are exceptions, you know, Um, some people write just for fun and sometimes it ends up being very destructive, you know, and there's no reference to the good energy or the strength and the power that came before. Um, And you think about the power of mantras and people repeating things over and over. And I do think that music is poetry as well. So whether it's the hook and, you know, Any kind of music, but if we're speaking specifically again about the black community, um, you know, hip hop belongs to so many people now, but it originated with black folk. And when you look at hip hop that's put in mainstream, that's greenlit by these major companies, much of it, not all of it, because I am a huge hip hop fan, uh, much of it that's pushed out into the mainstream is toxic. And if we're repeating Mm -hmm these damaging things, then that does something to our spirit as well. So it works inversely, you know, um, it works both ways. So I think there's a certain level of responsibility that if we call ourselves artists, right? And that, not everybody does, and that's what gets them off the hook. I'm a recording star, I'm a rap star, I'm a pop star, you know, but for those of us that call ourselves artists, I think there is a certain level of responsibility we feel to make something authentic, something that is true, something that is real, and something that will resonate with the human condition.
0: I am fascinated by this idea of, um, of thinking of, of mantra as not only the, the good things that we uh, repeat and internalize, but what are the, the destructive and toxic things that we're repeating and inadvertently um, making into a mantra for mm-hmm. ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I, we recently saw poetry come to light uh, in the in the country's eye in such a beautiful, intentional way through the inauguration poem. Um, yes, what do what do you think of Amanda Gorman and her poetry that she's putting out into the world right now?
1: I think she's phenomenal, and I am so proud of her from afar. I don't know Amanda personally, but I know that she passed through the ranks of our Black Girls Rock program. And I've been with Black Girls Rock for over a decade now as a creative writing instructor. You know, I've directed the camp a few years uh, and we met so many brilliant young ladies. And uh, I am not surprised to hear that she passed through our ranks and I think her words are powerful. I love the way that she presents herself. I love how she's opening the door for many people that have been doing this their entire life and just haven't been acknowledged for their content because it wasn't snappy and you couldn't put it on the radio. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm extremely proud. I wish her all the best. And you know, I personally just very much appreciate her for bringing it back to the forefront that yes, this is a beautiful form of expression that needs to make its way more authentically into the American landscape.
0: I think just just as as we say that we need to respect and learn from our elders, we have so much to learn from our youth, and mm-hmm. I imagine Amanda's experience will change throughout time, um, but right now she's got a youthful perspective to share with us as well. I yeah. wonder how your own art has changed and transformed over your life thus far
1: yeah yeah i mean so as i mentioned i'm originally from baltimore i started writing poetry when i was nine uh i was very fiery in my own mind i feel like i had a temper and uh my sweet capricorn mom was mad chill (laughs) And I just always was upset about something, and I was like, I love her so much. I don't always want to be upset. I'm like, I just need to do something. Like I need an outlet, and some way, somehow, poetry found its way to me. I just wanted to write out my thoughts. I started just expressing to get all the things. I think I was just hyper aware at an early age of like the injustices in the world, as well as just so many things I felt like weren't being addressed. But you know, when you're nine or ten, you're like not aware of all the things that actually are being addressed. It's just your small little world. And you're like, how come no one's saying anything about this? So it started <laughs> with that passion of like, you know, wake up everybody. You know, I I wrote um, a piece called July 20th, 2000, you know, and clearly if we do our math, that was 21 years ago. I was a bit older then. Um, but I went from writing my thoughts around nine or 10 and just getting that expression out, which leveled me out. To really making social commentary, you know, um, and incorporating the vocabulary I was learning while in school because I just clung to words. I mean, my mother would take my sister and I; she's a single mom, to the library on the weekends, and that was our recreation. We would read all the books before we got home. Uh, literacy was just a big part of my life, and I was always like an A plus student throughout. And so, words specifically. Just stuck with me, and I'm like, oh my goodness, there's a more interesting way to say that, you know. And there's like all these <laughs> syllables, perspicacity, and petrichor, and all these different words. And so I was like, that would be so dope if I could just drop those into my poems, and that would also help me stand apart. Um, and so I kind of made a game of it, and it also helped me retain the words that I was learning. And then it became just a joy and kind of a natural thing. And you know, I had this uh, other poetry name that someone named me. And then I decided when I left and came to Philly for Temple um, that I would try on this name, of this event that I proposed at Baltimore School for the Arts called Lyrispect. So lyrical respect, lyrical aspects, lyrical spectrum. So really thinking of all the different ways you can express and write. So from short stories and poems to hip hop and novels, like that's still the mission statement, it's just right you know, and just express every way you can through literature. So, uh, now that I'm older, you know, I'm more comfortable with talking about my personal experiences, but I would often take, uh, on the perspective of someone in a situation, and that would show up in my poetry. Or I would make a comment on the state of the world, and that would be in my poetry. But now, I definitely think I have a more personal perspective, and I'm less afraid to be vulnerable about my experiences, and my faults, and my falls, and my trauma, and also my triumph, and my gifts, and my blessings. So I feel like it took me a long time to arrive to this space, but I'm grateful to not Worry about being fully formed when I show up.
0: I love how you talk about, um, and we we got to, to dive into this a little bit last time, so I'm going to return to it about mm-hmm. being fully formed yet still open to changing. Um, yeah. I hear I hear from you that there's that they can reside together, that mm-hmm. um, you can. You can be open to growth and change and feel fully formed. So can you speak to that?
1: Absolutely. One of my uh, pastor spiritual advisors growing up would say, you know, you got to stay green if you want to grow. You got to stay teachable. You have to stay open and you have to stay flexible. And it's a fine line to walk between knowing your worth and walking in your purpose with confidence and also being open to learning more, to feedback. Um, and to constructive criticism. I think that if we wait for, to be perfect, then we will spend our whole lives almost there. We'll be at the precipice of almost being something or almost getting our work out or our word out. And I think I have allowed that to pause me for some time. And I don't care about being perfect anymore. You know, I think this pandemic specifically has made us all face our mortality just a little more quickly than we wanted to, or just the concept of it. And it's like, you got to do some things to get right, get right. You know what I mean? And also, like, if your time is tomorrow, do you want to, you know, as Maya Angelou mentioned, like, I don't want to die with my poems inside me. I don't want to die with my poems inside me, even if they're flawed or, you know, not complete or not perfect. I know that there's value in what I have to offer and I'm going to give the best of what I
0: have. You always give me 10 things to think about at once and to (laughs) hold in tension with one another. And I love that about our conversations and about your art as well. I'm, I'm thinking a lot about this pandemic and how there are scientists and sociologists and psychologists who are all saying that re-entry, emerging into whatever the next chapter is for our world post-pandemic, is likely to have obstacles and bumps along the way, and it's going to be um, awkward Figuring out how to connect and be in community again. And I wonder what you think, how you think the pandemic has already affected art and community and conversation, or how it will affect it going forward.
1: Yeah, I think that it's swung both ways. So the first one, which is most obvious to people, is that, you know, sometimes art to be amplified needs to be felt in the same room, especially live art and live performance. So, you know, theaters have suffered poetry to some degree. Spoken word actually has suffered in its own way. Um, Singers in their own way have suffered as well, um, because there's no replacement for feeling the vibration and the energy coming off of someone that is letting their light shine. You know, the computer can show you. You know, it can mimic the images and the sounds. It can transfer them through. But there's no exception for live art. You know, there just really isn't. There's no replacement. But at the same time, I think it's also allowed a lot of artists that either are creating or putting out work during this time. Um, to get more attention, you know, and to get more support because everybody is pretty much a captive audience. So if you are (laughs) putting your work out on, especially social media, but finding ways to get into people's homes via Zooms or via email lists or whatever it might be, people are getting a chance that no one had the patience for before to just find out how amazing this artist might be. Um, So I think that there's, you know, upside and a downside. I mean, I definitely think the film industry, Um, definitely had a boom because, you know, we talk about collectively, people talk about how the arts aren't, you know, as important as this or as important as that, but what is the thing that everyone defaulted to when they were in their homes? Movies and music, you know? And yes, yes, sports, yes, running, yes, outside and hiking. But when you weren't doing that, you were probably listening to music watching a show, listening to a podcast, reading an article. I mean, all the different things that artists create. Um, and so in in our own way, we've stood in the gap as artists um, and really did the lion's share of lifting in terms of helping people keep their sanity. Because how many people escape with a song or with a show, you know, when they can't physically escape? Um, I think moving forward in general, I think we're we're divided, but not in a, sad, scary way, because I just refuse to look at life like that. I think there will be some of us that could maintain our caution moving forward, um, and we'll pick and choose what's worth coming out of the house for until we all feel entirely safe. So I think that We're gonna see a lot of art and a lot of live performances in the summertime and spring. And as long as it's warm enough that we can social distance in an open space, I think people will show up and I think they'll come out. Um, You know, I know some people that are choosing to have events. I wanna say that I know them well enough that they have a capacity on it and that it's well ventilated. Um, I'm not in that space quite yet, but something outdoors, absolutely. You know, drumming circles and poetry performances where, um, you know, there's no judgment whether you have your mask on or not. Once, you know, I'm talking about a couple of months from now or a month or so from now when, you know, I'm not gonna get into thoughts about vaccinations, but when more people, because that's inevitable, right? When more people are vaccinated, and people are a bit more relaxed, knowing that they have that safety, you know, to say, "I really love that artist. I'm gonna go out and see them," you know, or "I really have been wanting to check them out." So. I think it'll, it'll rearrange the groupings of people as well. You know? Um, so, yeah. and I think that the pandemic has really gotten our priorities straight as well. Like if you thought you had a million friends, you have had to re-examine like, which ones are you willing to leave the house to see, you know, um, and put that risk, <laughs> put that risk out for us. So, yeah. you know, and I think we have to all be mature about it. And, um, And just do what we feel is best for ourselves and not judge other folk for their choices because we really don't know what they're going through, what they're thinking or what precautions they've already taken.
0: I think that across the board, I hear this past year as an invitation for people to get their priorities clear. And, Mm -hmm. um, And I tend to agree with what you've said and I feel really... Really good and hopeful about the fact that people have prioritized art, yeah. um, because it seems like that that could be something people throw to the side as a um, as an extra as something mm-hmm. frivolous, but in, instead, people have recognized that it is integral yeah. to to their being and to their survival. And that makes me really hopeful. If humans view art as um, as not something easily disposable, then that is, that is good. That's a good sign for humanity. That's a good sign for connection.
1: Yeah. And you know, Kelly, I just feel like People don't realize how hard artists work at their craft. Like people that have been doing this, like they work hard at it in the same way that you admire an attorney or a doctor or a surgeon or you know, a teacher. Artists work at their craft and you have to you can see for yourself who's who. You have to look a little bit more closely because everything looks the same from far away, but when you really Zoom in on a person's body of work or their career or what they lend their voice to. It's just as important as the work of any other craftsman or white collar person or whatever other employment is out there, you know, I just, I just can't stress that enough. So like, I'm so glad that we're on board because it's hard getting your respect as an artist. You know, I see people and they're like, Oh, you're still doing that poetry thing. I'm like, well, actually, yes. And it's paying my rent. You know what I mean? Like, so it's not quite that poetry thing, you know? So, um, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. It is, it is. Yeah. It's not a side hobby. It is, your purpose your vocation your gift to the world and I am I am so grateful for your gift to the world and uh, the gift that you've uh, brought by you know our, our paths crossing this past year um, yeah. I know that you work hard I get to follow you on social media and see um, some of the things that you're creating and working on and, and it is um, such a joy to behold your vulnerability and um the the rawness with which you allow us in mm. and um i wonder i wonder if you can share one of your pieces with us if you would gift us with a poetry a piece of poetry that you've written
1: yes yes so as i um pull it up i wanted to say thank you and hearing that is definitely appreciate it because sometimes for half a second, I'll think about what content I'm putting out and I'm like, you know, I just need to trust that regardless of the content, but but specifically when I'm putting out content around race, that allies are allies and that we're past the point of knowing that, you know, pro-black doesn't mean anti-white or pro-something doesn't mean anti-this or pro, you know, and just really getting into the colors and the flexibility of, You know, liberation period. You know, I I did this talk and I'm going to share the poem, but I did this talk uh, at the Barnes and we were talking about anti racism. And I said that I personally challenged myself to make sure that I am also thinking about the other oppressed peoples around the world and not just wanting to garner support for you know my movement and the movement of black people you know and i as a black person feel like if 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 anyone's going to fight for us it's going to be me you know but at the same time there is room in in my idea of liberation for us all to be fought for and to be free and there are even best practices you know so when you think about around the world the different injustices um it's really important for me. And again, I don't speak for all black people. I want to be very clear, but I I feel very, very much rooted in my blackness and I have a love for all people. And even my friend group, I mean, this is not the equivalent of saying like, I have a black friend, but I want to really highlight that my friend group reflects a myriad of cultures and I am learning constantly through them about cultures that I would not have known about this intimately had I not had a community that makes up a myriad of beautiful souls, right? Um, so that's that's really where my message is there. And so, hearing that you're receptive to it, you know, and there's not a feeling of like, well, what is she really talking about, you know, um, is comforting, you know, because I want we have to have conversations in order to move forward. You know, we have to Mm -hmm. stop being, especially in America, so precious about our feelings and so afraid to say the word black or white. You know, um, this is, you know, this is how we have conversations. We have to use shared vocabulary with some shared meanings. We have to build some meanings together. There's so much to do. So um, so thank you so much for that, Callie. And thank you for acknowledging that. I just just want to say that. Thank you. (laughs)
0: Well, of, of, of course, of course. And and I think it is through conversation that we are able to celebrate one another's differences, and mm-hmm. that I am able to understand my role, my complicity in racism, but also my responsibility in bringing about healing. And um, you know, it's it's not on you to to have to um, help. Raise awareness for white people, but when when you show up unapologetically in your beautiful, strong personhood, who mm. is a black woman, that mm-hmm. helps me. That helps me in so many ways. It helps me um, remember and affirm one of the the uh, principles that I live by, which is imago dei, believing mm. that all people are created in the image of God. Actually. It helps me overcome some of my fears of um, of saying the wrong thing or, or um, speaking at a turn. Mm. Uh, it definitely helps me overcome my fears of ruffling feathers with uh, others who are complicit. It helps yeah. me it helps me create genuine connection mm-hmm. with you and I appreciate your. Wholeheartedness in the way that you show up to the world and to these conversations. Thank you.
1: Thank you. All right. So we're going to lead right into this piece. Uh, it's called Somnyama the Reclamation, uh, and it was for Zanali Maholi, who had an exhibit called Somnyama Konyoma, Hail the Dark Lioness. I wrote this piece before I got to see the work in person and I wrote an entirely new piece all night long. I didn't sleep. I wrote this and this is what came out. I have come to save myself. I am not afraid. Come to exhume this body from an unmarked grave, deep amorphous melanin, sweet black night, merciful sword of opulence authoring scripture with light, progeny of God, icon of pulchritude, earthbound perfection, profound resting muse. My body is an untold story, a rare and distinct expression, an autobiography unfolding, an archive of selves. So with an in-breath, I call myself awake, Because there is too much at stake Because I cannot afford to keep dying in closets Teaching myself how to breathe underwater Switching hybrid tongues with alarming ease A contaminated projection of myself to myself A minstrel monstrosity mumbling echoes back to a broken mirror trying to remember which language I am written in when I know I am a living record of freedoms converging yes this is where silence becomes sin because this air is toxic lately I can't seem to catch my breath got a pain behind my heart that soles my retinas to my chest a seven car pile up at the opening of my throat and not a soul for miles so I have come to my own rescue prepared a hero's welcome upon arrival when I choose to hold my lover's hand and kiss her with radical softness in the burning bright of day. You do not call me into existence, yet your gaze suggests I am an inconvenience of language, a word you would rather not say. But even when you try to silence me, my eyes will preach the sun. This black body is love, this black body is here, this black body is sum this black body at peace. Look closely, I am laying amongst the rocks. Resting inside a tree, hidden in plain sight, dangerous as an epiphany, becoming one with myself. Place your eyes on me. There is a tattoo on my shoulder. Do you look or do you see me? My gaze more intimate than your comfort zone. I do not flinch when eyes appraise. Hail the dark lioness, my blackness unafraid, often relayed in iterations without my permission, baffling renditions of my DNA on display plagiarized. I do not give consent to be copied, threatened, or exoticized. My story is my own. But your polluted gaze would make mythology of my bones. Yes, I am feast for eyes and food for soul. I am appetite and savored bite. But first of all these things, I am whole. Even my half-breasts are birthrights, my resting posture a soliloquy, defiance and affirmation. I am a declaration of liberty. I am not some awkward phrase that doesn't fit inside your lungs. Rather, I am hurricane strength pentameter pulling the stammer from your tongue, a gale-force wind blowing through makeshift shelter. Sum your ma, say my name, for I know the subtle violence of being misnamed, the gentle murder implicit in mispronunciation, the recklessness of misrepresentation, when overheard conversations feel like firing squads. I am at odds with myself when I do not act, so I caress the syllables that stumble across your tongue, bathe them and whisper bedtime stories of their etymology, quiet, be silent. This darkness is glorious, this fierce beauty, cognitive dissonance for the colonized mind, a well-placed explosive in the heart of a virus, a disruption that calls you awake with an in-breath, no. I hear but I do not listen when you say that I do not belong in this particular place when your eyes police me and your actions insist that I continue breathing but at my own risk, I will not spend my life as a mispronounced phrase because you refuse to learn my name though you have called for my erasure, I persist. Behold, I am a monument unto myself, a sacred gift. The nomenclature no longer bends in your favor. It breaks like glass between subject and stranger, unearthing the deepest of truths that freedom requires. Alternative roots. I have come to save myself. I am not afraid. Come to exhume this body from an unmarked grave. Deep amorphous melanin. sweet. Black night, merciful sword of opulence, authoring scripture with light, progeny of God, icon of pulchritude, earthbound perfection, profound arresting truth. My body is an untold story, an autobiography unfolding, a record of freedoms converging an archive of self.
0: Thank you. Wow. Thank you, Lyra Specht, for vulnerably sharing your deep giftedness with us. For those of you listening today, you can find Lyra Specht's poetry and latest projects and more at lyraspect.com. That's L-Y-R-I-S-P-E-C-T dot com. A special thanks to Episcopal Church Foundation's Fellowship Partners program, my favorite podcast engineer, Jeremy Tackett, and everyone out there seeking their spark. Follow me on social media at Callie Swanland Or reach out through CallieSwanland.com to learn more about finding your spark.